0: Hello and welcome to Ian's Research Club, a new a and podcast. I'm your host, Ian T. In each episode, I speak with guests from the visual arts community as well as creative individuals from adjacent industries. Hosting this podcast is an extension of the long-form interviews I've been conducting and a way of capturing the personal voice. I hope you find the conversations generative and enjoyable, as I know I will. Today, I'm at the Abu's Gallery in Singapore to speak with Jason Wee, Jason is an artist and writer working between the mediums of photography, architecture, and poetry. In addition to his artistic practice, he founded Grey Projects, which is an artist studio, gallery, library, and residency program. Founded in 2008, it is currently one of the longest-running artist spaces in Singapore. Now, Jason has had a busy November, with a number of projects opening in the last few weeks, a new solo show, a group exhibition which he curated at STPI Gallery, as well as programs initiated by Grey Projects. There's lots to discuss, so let's jump right in. Welcome to the club, Jason. Hello. Thanks for having me. So let's start right here at your exhibition at Yavus Gallery. Um, It is titled Cruising, and it brings together recent collages, sculptures, assemblages, prints and drawings. By way of introduction, I think we, it would be good for us to talk about the set of works that visitors would see as they enter the gallery. Sure. So it's um, a series of works they have titled Uncommon Choreographies, and they are made up of puzzle pieces that are kind of mixed up and then reassembled into new images and compositions. Um, could you talk about the image sources that you've used for this series, as well as what does the gesture of mixing up the puzzles mean to you?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so the project really began about uh, three years ago. I was on a residency with the Exactly Foundation, um, and I had uh, wanted to revisit some of the places that I knew uh, uh, much earlier on um, when I was kind of coming up to myself, and um, it also helped that Exactly Foundation had a focus on the the history and the. Uh, effect of place um on image making so um so that's uh uh where so going back to these places is where i was a way for me to think back about the the history of of querying landscape like what what we do with our movements and our sense of time and what that does to um uh, a place and history of the place and what even people who don't go to that place might think of that place um, and um, i also then went to um, speak to uh, people who uh, was at the site um, who then introduced me to other sites um, that i hadn't known when i was much younger um, and i was also offered this opportunity to really kind of Explore what has changed um, about cruising, and um, and part of the work for me was not really to um so, so to think through the kind of like the, pol- the politics of visibility, right? The politics of image making and the way that image making with photography is often about um, the revelation, the transparency, the the kind of um, the kind of a sense that um, a certain um, access is provided through the camera's lens and you are seen through the photographer's privileged position um, uh, because the photographer has somehow managed to to enter a space that is uh, otherwise unreviewed. Um, and I didn't want to... And for me, the project wasn't to open this, uh, the activity to necessarily to outsiders, you know. I'm I'm thinking about also ways in which um, there are other forms of kind of tangible image politics, that it's possible to have a politics of invisibility, and then how to present invisibility, how to think about things that are invisible but tangible, to think about things that are um, present um, but illegible, to think about things that are uh, opaque yet somehow legible, right? so to think in some ways about um, a ways that we could um, demonstrate the the existence of something um, without, um, in some ways, uh, releasing its necessary secrets. You know, and I think that there is also something powerful about about um, about um, about certain kinds of notions of safety that is built around certain notions of secrecy, right? Or certain kinds of pleasures that's also built around certain kinds of notions of secrecy. Uh, and I wanted that to be present on the image surface. And it's a long way for me to say that uh, why I... Uh, it's one reason why I I wanted to present the works as you see them in the space as collages. So when you walk in, the... Um, the thing about the way these images are made is that each image that you see, um, each frame actually is, uh, uh, in the end, a unique print. I can't quite recreate it the same way. Um, the prints are made in such a way that um, after I've shot them, I have, I have to print them all at the same time and cut them and uh, assemble them all at the same time. You know, It's a process of... It's uh, kind of... Um, a process of um, aggregate work but also um, a collective work. What I mean by that is that I, in order to make one I have to make 15 or 20 at once. Um, I can't just make, I can't just work on one alone. Um,
0: Maybe because, to jump in right there, that's because you have different images from which you're pulling from to recompose yeah. into the final or the resultant image. So So that's that's why you have like a number of images that have to be produced in order for that material to work with. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. So I I shot like, I shot close-ups, I shot um, kind of landscapes, I shot still lives, I shot panoramas. So there are different points and positions of view. There are different, um, there are different Fields of vision as well, different ways of framing an image. Um, And these things, uh, through the process of of assembly, they kind of then start cutting into each other. Um, And so, the way that I I wanted each image, each frame to work, was for each one, as Ian was saying, to provide you uh, samples or fragments or glimpses of all the other. Images um, in the set. Um, so the images, so to, to make it a little clearer, so I, I had to print them all. In all, there are about 28 to 30 images in the set. Um, and I have to cut them all with the same knife, with the same kind of jigsaw knife. Um, and once they're cut with that same knife, a piece in uh, a corner of one image is identical in shape to a piece in the same corner, a second or third or fourth or fifth image. So it allows me then to begin swapping pieces, um, the same shape pieces from the same corner across the different image surfaces. So what you see is me doing that repeatedly um, again and again and again, um, which is why in order to make one, I have to work on all, at least about 15 to 20 at once. And um, and the process is also cumulative. So, doing the first two is really the hardest because you are um, beginning <clears throat> the process um, in a way that um, that um, is affecting all twenty uh, all. Thirty or however many, um, very slowly. But by the time you are working on your, uh, I'm working on my fifteenth image. Uh, by then, um, the other images have already
0: been um, kind of decided. Yes, they've already <laughs> been
1: mixed. Yeah. Um, so a lot of the decisions have been have been made already. So the process then also moves cumulatively faster. Um, but. Um, working on that also meant that, uh, the different speeds is also interesting because as I was working on it, different things enter my head. So, um, initially I was thinking about, you know, I was swapping pieces partly based on a certain kind of private code, thinking about how they move, um, when they move, um, how long they stay before they, uh, at a spot before they move on. So thinking about those kinds of speeds, uh, in terms of yeah, and then thinking about it in terms of um, uh, as a kind of as a kind of uh, choreography that I map out on the image surface. But then slowly also became about uh, providing a sense of the experience of what it's like. So the more I swapped, the more I thought about what it means for you to have a sense of what it's like to actually cruise where you, you are looking at things very quickly. Um, you're looking at people really quickly, but you're also trying to get a sense of what's safe for you, um, where to stand, um, where to be, how long you should be at one place. So it means that you sometimes get a close-up of something really quickly, and then you're trying to see something very far away, and then you're yeah. trying to establish a sense of place. So, um, so to, to offer you that sense in a single frame, you know, where you get a bit of the close-up
0: and then a bit of the far away. In terms of this series, because I've seen previous iterations of yes. the work, so I think the first time you have presented them was um, about two years ago in KL. Now, I think that was when I first saw the series and the kind of resultant image that you get tends to be a little bit more abstract in those earlier iterations like Whereas for the newer ones you have a little bit more information on the place. So you could make out like a road, like really kind of clear landmarks of places. Whereas for the earlier iterations, they tend to be the works firstly are smaller in scale, I think. And then you have you have plenty of details, but they tend to be like close-up details. So you can't really tell what exactly you're looking at. So it looks more like an abstract part. Whereas for the newer ones, you could really make up like, oh, it's a figure, it's a place. You could see something in the background. You could see the sky or like a a tree, and I'm wondering how has this series then developed for you? Did you go to different places each time you create um, a set of works?
1: This was the development scale. You're right. Uh, The first set in KL in in the solo at Richard Cole was um, uh, only a only about a quarter uh, of in terms of the surface area of the current size of the image. So it's um, four times, about roughly four times smaller. Um, and I was also thinking uh, when I was doing the work, I'm also thinking kind of the, uh, the puzzles as a kind of, um, as a, as an analog to a, a kind of digital image. Mm. And, uh, I was also thinking of the way that the, the jigsaws could function Almost like, a, like pixels, analogs to pixels. Mm-hmm. Um, which also means that um, with the larger works that I, I'm now showing at Yavu's, I'm thinking of the way that they really present information. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then also the way that, uh, like you were saying, the images now give you a sense of um, place, a sense of time. Um, and so a couple of things. Um, happen a little more uh, while other things stayed the same. So the things that um, the number of kind of close-up abstract images actually stayed the same proportionally. Inter- I still included the same number of um, almost they look like colour fields because I went out very close to someone's shirt, for example, and snap an image of the their blue shirt, for example. Or um, I was standing very close to a, a car and the uh, their, their corner light beamed at me. Um, uh, so I, I captured the, the red of that beamed light. Um, so um, I think a number of the, uh, the proportionally, there's still that, that abstraction operating. Um, but I think what happens uh, overall is that um, there's more information for me about um, time, especially. Yeah. And what I mean by time is just really the quality of the light. Yeah. Yeah. So I could actually uh, show more clearly, and I wanted to show more clearly how, um, you know, we were talking about visibility earlier that the folks think that this all, this all only happens in the dark. Mm. You know, that this is uh, like people go really deep into a, a place. But I'm like, actually, that's not really the case. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, um, this happens at dusk. This happens at uh, in daylight. Um, and I wanted to kind of show a little bit those mm. qualities as well. Um, and there's also um, a desire for me to um, anchor it a little more in in bodies this time, in ways that might not be so present in the smaller works. Mm. Yeah. Um, there, there were bodies present in the smaller ones. because of that scale, which is about the size of a page. Yeah. The bodies are not so. Uh, visibly captured, mm-hmm. except maybe a, a couple of them, but this time you could really see kind of what they were doing, where yeah. they are standing, and so on um, and um, and that for me was important for this work and like i didn 't want um, the the people this time to to be so um, to be so appeased with the landscape you know I wanted them to be um, uh, kind of like um, but kind of appear a little more yeah, mm-hmm. without being entirely you.
0: I was reading um, this short interview that you gave um, the Asia Society as part of the Triennale that uh, you participated in last year. And um, you mentioned that you had not cruised much before beginning this project. And um, so even in these moments of cruising, you felt like an outsider.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I didn't, I don't, it's not like that. I mean, um, you know, I think your non-like uh, straight listeners might feel like um, like this is kind of like uh, an unusual activity. Uh, like, but and I will also say for me, it's not something that was part of my my um, habits. It wasn't part of my you know, it wasn't part of my sexual habits. It wasn't part of my social habits uh, in the past. Um, you know, I'm. I was uh, meeting people in um, in other ways you know maybe one way to think about it is in some ways more conventional ways you know um, having dates for example um, so um, but at the same time it's not these places were not unfamiliar to me I've heard of them I've gone to them um, so they've always also had the kind of the kind of excitement that you 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 might feel like when you when you think oh this can happen in Singapore Mm -hmm. that kind of excitement um and um and going back to these places has also changed from when I was um from when I first uh, saw them you know in some ways I'm a different person so I feel like um my relationship to to gender has changed um and uh, I I have a much more complex relationship to to um, masculinity, for example. Um, I so at these places now I feel um, even while it's an odd experience when someone looks at me and I would actually feel both present and yet more invisible in the way that I feel like I'm a surface on which sexual desire might be projected Uh, and it might meet my own desires in only a very partial way Um, in a way that then some ways leaves not just my desire but who I am actually um, unseen or unfulfilled Um, and that might be true of like all kind of first encounters right? who goes on the uh, how many of us really go on a first date and then feel completely seen? But um, I, I feel that uh, there's something about uh, this that uh, you know co- constantly puts me a little outside of myself or outside of the time. So that's why I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm not. Uh, I don't feel like I. I don't feel like. Necessarily, even when I go very often, I, it took me a long time before I feel like I, I had, I'm not completely uh, outside to this.
0: Um, um, in terms of the overall exhibition, this is quite a different presentation. It's compared to your previous yeah. solo exhibition at Yavuz, um, which happened in 2017. Uh, the show was titled Labyrinths, and for that show, you focused on the language. And- architecture of walls and fencing. So um, one of the materials, recurring materials in that show is actually this green fencing that you see around in Singapore. So you've created like a a maze-like installation, as well as a series of mixed-media wall panels. And for this new show, fragments of the fence appeared again in some of the assemblages that you presented. So can you say a little bit more about this new works?
1: Yeah, I think... um... Yeah, a lot has changed in four years. Um, And also the the Yavu space has changed. Actually, the the rear wall of the gallery has moved forward a little bit, so it's a slightly smaller space. And and so a couple of things um, uh, was on my mind when I was working on this solo. Um, The first was to kind of uh, have it understood that I am like the the labyrinth show um interested in the way that certain events and um, our experience of place is constituted in singapore you know so like in the labyrinth show there's works about uh Signai road road talks about ping dot um and honing park there's things about um the house um on oxley road um and um and this time it's in some ways that 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 concern with place remains especially the jigsaws then um, the two fences that appear are in this uh that appear in this current show the yellow fences are in this intermediary space where they they function as um kind of the way that fences often do as a way to separate two zones and so these these fences i see them um I see them uh, being installed actually at the cruising spaces along the beach, Uh, and they begin to separate um, the more urban parts of the cruising area from the more uh, the more um, liminal ones. Quite literally, they separate ones from the tidal zones from the beach um, and from um, from the waterways. So this. Fences oddly themselves become eroticized actually. So they, these fences which are meant to, to uh, separate uh, place from place, themselves become uh, erotic zones. They become meeting spots for people. Um, so the, I wanted to use the idea, as this this idea that they the fences themselves um, are places when. Two things can two different kind of things aren't just separated. They they intercut into each other. Yeah. So the fences this time in the space also uh, are a way for me to cut between uh, cruising as a as an act of querying space, but also um, cruising as a, as a kind of logistical speed. You know, so I had this experience of being on a residency on an oil tanker. Um, and that environment is, uh, you know, as as most uh, commercial ships are, mm-hmm. it's an all male environment. Um, it's, um, it, um, you know, Fuku had said before that uh, ships are heterotopias, tetra- ha- you know, like like uh, like uh, cemeteries, mm-hmm. like uh, like a couple of other places, like, and as other com- other theorists have commented, that uh, also like cruising grounds. Um, and um, and I wanted to think about ways where um, where uh, um, theory, uh, kind of the ethnographers and theorists around logistics, uh, folks like Deborah Cohen, have opened up these kinds of networks for for opportunities for queering. You know, that, uh, like. You know, there's there's ways in which we can think um, about the way that these uh, these floating cities are so much a part of our supply chains, um, uh, and to to queer this notion of their their masculinity or their speed. Um, so the fences were for me an opportunity to do that, where where things the fences themselves are cut, real quite literally in half. Um, they seem to emerge from the wall, um, and um, their balance on the floor or their balance very differently from um, the labyrinth show. Um, they actually are very lightly balanced. Uh, you know, each of the work rests against the, their surface. So, and the the standing work rests against the wall at one just one point for security, and then the other one is balanced. Uh, at one point on the floor and one point of the wall um, and so it, it, it has um, despite the, the, the weight of the fence as a, a kind of uh, uh, I was hoping to introduce a, a kind of a more delicate sense to weight yeah. and to balance um, I also wanted then to um, introduce things that um, Such as texture. So, on one of the frames, uh, um, one of the metal fences, I I hung a, a very close up of a, of a canvas that I see, uh, and it's one of the few very tactile elements that I see on an oil tanker. Um, and um, and I noted on these two um, two fences also to introduce support for other materials. Um, but the way that these things, these other materials are supported, you know, they they are suspended like, oh, like the the image of the canvas is suspended uh, just off the floor. And it's like it's almost going to touch the floor, but it's not going to touch the floor. Um, then also, the way that uh, these things are knotted, um, the knot actually changes direction in in ways that maybe you might not expect, or you might feel like um, it's a little disruptive to the eye. You know, it's not as smooth or as perfect. Um, and um, um, but there's something about that for me. All of these things—the the sense of uh, slight precarity to the balance, the sense of uh, not being completely held down or locked in, yeah, or um, or perfective, or resolve—like all of these things—are my ways of trying to, um, to, to queer this experience, both at the fence, which was meant to divide, right, but also of the experience of the, um, of logistics.
0: I'm glad you brought up this idea of um, transparency and opacity earlier on. I think I want to kind of return to that because yeah. I think when I think about your work, often the word opacity comes to mind. And I think it's not in the sense that um, it's uninviting, therefore it's opaque, but like um, something that I think most viewers and including myself often have to grapple with, with your work is that um, you are often not necessarily uh, pervy to certain sets of information. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering, um, just as an artist, how do you kind of navigate that that territory between divulging certain information or secrets mm-hmm. and also kind of withholding them
1: yeah yeah I know like I've, I've been told like uh, some things are other are, have been said to me as critique or well, I've heard certain ways that things are used and they are in they. there's a judgement to them so when someone says that they are certain things are um, like opaque is one of those words mm. yeah uh, and But for me, opacity is, uh, uh, I don't hear a judgment to it, a negative judgment to it, in a way that I feel that um, opacity is sometimes um, even what I see in the face of someone that I've grown up with, you know, like, uh, sometimes looking at... Um, someone in my family, a face that I've known a long time right, since I was a child. And yet knowing that at that moment I cannot completely understand that person. Mm-hmm. I can look in the person's eyes and go, I have no idea why you did or said what you just said mm-hmm. or did what you just did. And that for me is a kind of um, opacity. Uh, and I've always thought about well, for um, a, a long time, what it means to um, register that uh, as part of the a kind of the mood of my work you know, or the atmosphere of my work um, not to like be purposely obstinate like and stubborn and say like, no, no I don't want to give you something but actually it's just a way of saying, no, this is a way of being, this is part of how we all are uh, and this is part of how I am you know that is, um, um but also as a way of saying that this is how sometimes um, how events and um, and sometimes you know um, uh, parts of the political um, and um, also parts of um, of the social material is, is, is present to us um, and, uh, and we kind of have to figure out how to deal with it's, it being in front of us mm-hmm. yeah. um, because only some things are, are reviewed some things are understood in, like, and legible mm-hmm. there are only some things that we can read about or, or hear or, uh, but what does it mean to see something in front of us um, and to understood opacity as its quality yeah, um, and to actually understand opacity for its tangibility, for its materiality, for its sensuousness, even, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, and understand that um, that it doesn't mean that it's you can have some something is opaque sometimes be, because it is not concealed, you know, like um, and it's in some ways a lesson that I learned from like the from minimalism, right that. The cube in front of you, or the sheet of metal, um, the, it's not like you need to look inside the cube. The cube is, mm-hmm. you know, a solid box. Doesn't mean that it's trying to hide something inside the box. Mm-hmm. You are asked to experience the the materiality of that steel, the material of the steel, the coolness of it, the smoothness of it, the edges of it. Yeah, the way that it still occupies space, you know, um, and then what it does to your perception of that space. Uh, so all these things uh, I feel like uh, are things that I uh, I ask so not to necessarily ask about what that opaque object refers to outside of the space you're in, but to ask you to think about the relationship between this opaque object and the next one in the same work yeah or in the same space yeah so um, so like I I, I constructed the Yahoo show in such a way that, I'm hoping viewers don't have to ask about so much about outside relationships, but just to ask, oh, you know, why is it that I see in this jigsaw, maybe it seems like uh, pairs of men constantly flit in and out or groups of men constantly flit in and out, but in a way that I cannot completely see, um, what might they be up to in this fragment and explosion of you know collage colors and uh, glimpses of things? Um, and why is it that as you move into the space, you know, you see um, you see parts of ships, or um, you see um, you know uh, a glimpse of forests that don't exist, or you, uh, you see uh, like um, uh, a part of, or only a part of real things. You know, part of real fences and other things that seem to disappear. Um, into the wall, or um, or um, uh, or what they want to be tied together, but they are they're not quite tied together. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. I think um, talking about minimalism, uh, it's a good kind of segue to also briefly touch on the show you have curated at SDPI. <laughs> <laughs> so the show is titled um, "The Lions Fall Where They May," and it's. Um, mostly consisting of um, existing works that are produced at the SDPI workshop through their residency program. So um, could you briefly perhaps say, how did you go about selecting the works for this show? And um, also what are your kind of considered, the considerations that you had in mind as you kind of grew this set of works?
1: Mm, yeah, I, I I mean, I must... I must first say that I, I really didn't plan everything to happen in November. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's not, it, it, if, it, it sounds like, I'm, you know, I was trying to do something with the dates, but it's completely, completely by accident. The, the SCPI show was meant to happen much earlier in April, May. Um, and he had to be moved. Um, there wasn't uh, any way to get around that. So, and it just happened to move to the same weekend. <laughs> I already planned with um, uh, Yavu's, and with the SCPI show, I wanted to um, work in a way that focuses on very small moments in the artist's work that sometimes actually run against necessarily what the artist might want or intend. Uh, because for me, when I was looking at the, the works themselves, and again, this is like me looking at the works without thinking about what the, necessarily the, the artist had meant mm-hmm. or were trying to do. Um, I found myself reading it in so part sometimes often against the grain of what the artist was doing. Um, and that was useful because it opened up a way for me to see how other things were in the work that might be uh, not entirely uh, a result of artistic intention. You know, or they cannot be entirely incorporated into, into um, artistic meaning in the way that this is what the artist meant to do. You know? So I... Um,
0: I think a yeah. good example would be Hegu Yang's yeah. Vegetable prints, right? Yeah. yeah. So, so
1: the two works that uh, I began the show with, I was asked to uh, take a look at uh, two recent bodies of work. So one is Hegu has been working on a series of vegetable prints for the past two, three years, and um, and there's ongoing material that is coming out of the studio right now from that, that process. And then while I was putting together the show, Prava was actually Pravavati was actually um, in the SCPI studios, actually making works was seeing stuff fresh. Um, and Hegel was using uh, vegetable and uh, vegetable matter to create um, uh, these prints. Of uh, repeated um, motifs, uh, usually of leaves on stems, and then Prabhupada has created these geometric, very crystalline shapes um, uh, that involve the uh, pressing a copper wire into um, mulberry paper. Um, and I, with you know, Ian was, you, you were talking about the the Hegel's work and it was the kind of intense, uh, spots of like chlorophyll or dirt or sap that, um, that almost like dirty the page and introduce uh, imperfections. Cause it's
0: literally the vegetables leaving yeah traces of its pigment and like whatever juices yeah. onto the paper, right? Yeah.
1: It's a process that involved no outside, um, uh, solvent or no additional um, inks. Yeah. So whatever you see came directly from um, the vegetable matter, the vegetables and the herbs that she found at the the markets and the supermarkets in Singapore. Yeah. So I saw these moments of like intensity, salted and and color as a way that. Um, matter themselves are asserting a force, um, and uh, this force does not run smoothly alongside uh, the the human the human one that's in, that's introduced by the artist's hand. And so, I wanted to highlight this uh, throughout the show. Uh, so the sh- the show at SCPI is anchored by um, uh, four sets of works by. Um, Prabhupati and by in the main, as you walk in, in the, into the SCPI space in the main gallery, it's anchored by um, Hegel's extensive, uh, vegetable prints. And then I've surrounded this with other artists that, um, that I, th- I feel echo this, um, this, you know, trajectory in my head. And of course this is like my, my interpretation, right? Like as in I, I, I'm reading something into it. Mm-hmm of uh, that uh, I of course uh, someone else walking to the space might go I don't I don't read it um, I only want to say that I, I'm reading this it this way and uh, and offering it this way uh, in the hopes that um, it can open us up to thinking about our relationship with others and specifically like the, the non-human world right um, that we consider how, uh, we interact with uh, matter with you know vegetable life with with water with light um, that sometimes return us to very human uh, preoccupations like um, cinema like painting um, you know like uh, like building um, but I wanted um, uh, a, a kind of acknowledgement you know, Mm-hmm. That um, that uh, we are not alone, and that it's it's not just about acknowledging um, the the loneliness of other humans, but it's also about acknowledging uh, and that uh, we are just one in a multitude of creatures.
0: Yeah. Speaking about that, um, you founded Grey Projects in um, 2008, which I believe started in your own home. Yeah. <laughs> So, um,
1: not something so, I'll, re- I'll recommend to people. you or It's like it made uh, <laughs> it made uh, my private life very complicated.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, because it's it's such a commitment. <laughs> firstly, <laughs> why why what was the Singapore art scene like at that point of time?
1: Oh, oh my gosh, I'm I'm not the uh, I think I, ca- I can I'm not the best person to sum up the whole scene. But I think for from where I stood. Um I was seeing um a kind of gentrification of certain parts of the city that is now um already past its like peak you know, and we we're watching a kind of breakdown of that gentrification you know I was looking at uh, I was in Chinatown a lot you know um <clears throat> and um and you know Chinatown right now is like without the tourists mm-hmm. um, uh, doing this, without the, <clears throat> without even like um, a chance to really do the festival shopping. Yeah. Right in this um, past pandemic years, um, you can just see Chinatown like slowly falling apart again. Um, but at the time, Chinatown was. Uh, and this was a, a long time ago. I, was, um, I, I wasn't even thinking of myself as an artist yet, but, but that was why it was important because I got kind of like my art education going through all these small, young spaces in Chinatown. Some of them were commercial galleries. Uh, some of them were commercial, trying to be contemporary galleries. Some of them were just, you know, your, your art galleries doing, um, but doing like ink. Um, doing Chinese ink but it was still a good place to see uh, and be introduced to uh, new art being made Um, but there were also spaces like um, Plastic Kinetic Worms Mm -hmm. uh, in Chinatown and um, there were also other activities more temporal activities happening in Chinatown Um, and so um, a lot of that was My basically my art education, Um, and then I had come back after uh, going to grad, going to art school for the first time, uh, and seeing that these spaces were closing down or disappearing very fast. Um, um, And uh, when I when I do when I did came back, you know, PKW then finally decided to. At first, I thought they would continue, but they would they decided to close. so there was a moment in the mid-2000s where you could really <clears throat> see uh, a kind of pessimism that, you know, it's not unfamiliar to us, like maybe a, a couple of years ago, right, where we think, oh, maybe there's no more support for, with with the growth of um, the large institutions, we're going to see, uh, like, a dearth of smaller spaces where um, the more... Uh, scary, more tentative, more, um, more, uh, adventurous, more
0: experimental. <laughs> yeah.
1: I was, you know, or even just the, the more, um, the more Unpolished. cautious. Yeah. and Yeah. Correct. Right. The, the kind of really nascent attempts, where are they going to go? Right. <clears throat> because there's pieces that, um, that the embryonic really needs, right? Like, uh, and I don't really mean this necessarily to be young. Like, I feel like. Um, I, I think we constantly forget in Singapore that um, we, we always refer to emerging as young but actually interesting things emerge all the time from all levels of our practice yeah so I was trying to find ways to um, support that um, partly because I needed it I needed it when I was trying to learn and I still I realized I needed uh, so I continue to develop and grow um and um a few friends encouraged me to try and start my own and they were very supportive like just by being a part of my first few shows um and that's kind of how i started and (laughs) i started creating my living room (laughs) yeah
0: and um in terms of like the role of the artist run space today i think grave project has gone beyond just putting together like you know, exhibitions, producing publications. So I think two recent initiatives come to mind. Um, firstly, uh, last year in 2020, during the lockdown period, um, great projects ran like a counselling space um, during the weekends. So providing um, free counselling hours with trained counsellors. So could you talk a little bit about um, yeah. how this came about?
1: Yeah, we were, um, We I was thinking before already, before the pandemic hit about work, that, that, you know, as an artist, I curate, and and I curate really because it's a way for me to um, respond to my peers, uh, respond to other artists. Like it's a way for me to um, like really show interest in um, the people around me in a concrete way, and um, and I um, I have wanted to work with. Um, artists older than me and also artists younger than me. But sometimes the word collaboration can also be very restricting because it is it, sometimes often implied that you have to make something together. Mm-hmm. You have to make an object together. Right? Uh, or you have to both show together. Uh, but I wanted to find ways where maybe I'm not so foregrounded. But really, it's really, I can just help an artist put together a show. Um, but I was also thinking that that also has certain limits uh, as time went by. Like sometimes maybe what an artist needs isn't a show. We, I mean, what an artist needs at a point in time, is in a conversation about how to make more stuff. Maybe an artist just needs a conversation about their own life uh, and about other things, and that will, at some point, um, uh, develop into other things in the art practice. You know, but um, but uh, meanwhile, it's really about just ways to um, not just support the artwork but the artist. So we were planning to do more, like um, more. Conversational stuff, reading groups, seminars, discussions, um, doing less exhibitions, um, thinking about maybe residencies, um, exchanges. Those side of those formats. Then, then, then pandemic hit, right? Um, and it really got a bunch of us. Actually, not just um, uh, me, but uh, I agree. But a bunch of us thinking, well, really, what do artists need right now? Um, so, we a bunch of um, other spaces at intermission, um, software starts and, um, um, I feel, and, um, the folks who are involved at starch and, and others, um, i I feel like I'm forgetting, uh, a space or two. <laughs> um, but the idea is just with, with you know, other, uh, smaller spaces, we start thinking about how to offer like micro grants, how to, um, in some ways distribute, um, uh, funds demonstrate uh, a kind of care that is not um, necessarily about uh, working okay. or production. Yeah. So for us, I I thought that it's time for the the space at the weekends and it's something uh, to to become um, to become a space where people really can um, talk through certain things very very privately. Uh, and actually, we're quite lucky; we managed to do it all the way into. Um, all the way into this year so we managed to continue all the way to like september oh wow yeah um and um we've been raising bits of money here and there uh, through like our book sale uh, but also we've been, had a very supportive um counselor who's willing to work at very uh, low rates um coming on sundays and then we also we also partner with um with um, a couple of counseling agencies who were willing to offer subsidized rates if the if the folks um, actually need more hours than what we can offer on Sundays? Yeah, um, so that's something that uh, we've been very fortunate to do um, into this year, and it's also really shaped my thinking about questions of care and the kind of art ecology we might need. Yeah, uh, and I think that also went into thinking about. The, i think the second program you, you're gonna
0: yeah which uh, is yeah. Walk, walk don't run yeah okay.
1: um and i um uh, and you know institutionally things are happening in singapore right we, we have um an ica without uh okay. new newly commissioned exhibitions apart from uh, school related programs it doesn't have a director at the moment um sam uh, doesn't uh, the building is undergoing renovations. They're hiring a new team of curators, um, and that team is still growing and hiring. Um, and then you have NGS, um, and you have CCA, uh, basically um, uh, being downsized at Gilman very significantly. Um, and then you have uh, other kinds of precarity, right? Like substations uh, being asked to move off their premises on Armenian Street. Um, you have uh, arts council telling the uh, long-standing um, uh, smaller, medium-sized institutions like um, objectives like they might not that they may not continue to have that space, uh, and then, and this seems also to be like industry wide that things are happening uh, in the same kind of precarity to like Center Forty Two and uh, to Necessary Stage and to theatre practice. So, um, a a sense that I'm getting sometimes from talking to friends in Singapore is that there's a a pessimism, right? That there's uh, certain things at scale can only happen because of state funding. Yeah, or because uh, you must you must incorporate mm-hmm. yeah a certain way. Uh, you must have uh, a blind alignment in a way. Yeah, you must you must have a board of patrons. Yeah, you must uh, incorporate. You must find ways a certain way. Um, and I was not convinced, like, that that's the only way to go. Okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so with Wawadon Run, we were very lucky. We spoke to um, Aki and I decided that. We're going to uh, speak to our, our peers and our colleagues and our friends, um, and together with over thirty uh, spaces and over sixty um, artists, um, we manage artists. Sorry, I should say artists and designers okay. and craftspeople yeah. and um, okay. artisans. Yeah, and workshop operators. We wanted to open up uh, and introduce uh, a, a, a scene. That's a kind of a scene that. Like I think it's more familiar to artists. Like, this is how we work. This is the workshops we work with. This is the friends we talk to. This is the uh, this is the craftspeople we count on. This is the folks we come to for advice about how to make something um, or think through something. Um, and we, we created, all of us together, uh, a month-long open studio. And it's a way for me to say, hey, this is, you know, it's not... Yes, the museums are important, and you know, and the fairs are here to stay. But, um, but there's um, there is uh, a scene that, that is a real scene. Uh, it's distributed, it's dispersed. It's throughout the island. It's not just about the city centre. Um, and um, and uh, here's an opportunity to talk to us actually right where we work. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I actually really want to thank you actually for, <laughs> despite uh, you know we um, kind of the challenges of figuring out a space that actually you also managed to be a part of this, uh, and I remember showing up at. Um, for that weekend in the North and just also really being so encouraged by the number of people who, who showed up.
0: Yeah. I think we were all very pleasantly surprised. Yeah.
1: And the numbers kept building. Yeah. Like even I would, yeah, first when we planned this, like, you know, we were thinking, Oh, well, people want to go out on the fourth weekend at mm. the end to like do us, but actually people still showed up. Yeah. yeah. And people showed up in equal or greater numbers.
0: I think there's probably more knowledge that this is happening as it builds yeah. over the fall weekends. But um, having participated in the first Saturday, I think it was very encouraging, especially because it's the first, the first time this is happening and um, we really had no idea what to expect. <laughs> so it, it was very refreshing. I think it was a great experience both for myself, um, the hosts, and also for the guests who took time to visit the different spaces. Um, having having gone through this whole event, were there any like kind of takeaways that you got, or like things that you felt could be, would be things that you would work on, as um, oh, if you yeah. were to bring this back again? Sure. Yeah.
1: I mean, first the first thing was just how like this sense that Aki and I had that um, like we needed it, like and also this feeling that like people really welcomed it, um, and that was really gratifying because the sense that it was really important to just talk with sometimes random strangers about art again. Um, there are other things that uh, we understood as as really working and helpful, like everyone um, found the maps
0: mm-hmm.
1: and the directional guides really helpful. Um, but we're also thinking about the, the mix. We're also thinking about ways in which we can... Um, coordinate maybe a little better um, so that, um, you know, I, I know that uh, some people showed up at spaces and it wasn't clear when uh, they were opened or uh, what what the activity necessarily might be. Yeah. So we're thinking about ways that that might be communicated better. Um, and also we're thinking um, about, well, what well, we also decided is the um, we don't want to we're not in a rush to make it happen again in twelve months.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: this is not something that we want to just repeat uh, because we like we have to. We, yeah, we want to. Uh, we like it to happen again, but we want to make sure that um, uh, it will happen in a time where. Where not just the visitors, but the people who participate in it, because it's it's also a long day, right? Like in you experienced it, that um, they actually folks feel like they they get uh, they they feel like they took a lot out of it for themselves as well.
0: Yeah. Okay, I think um, we're running out of time, so I just have one like final sure. question for you. So, um, what are you looking forward to after this busy month? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, I think that, uh, I'm going to be busy for a little while more, but not maybe as crazy as trying to do um, three shows at the same weekend. Because huh? the third one was I had a a, a sculptural commission in, in Amsterdam for the Other Futures Festival, which I had to somehow produce to open at the same weekend in November. Um, but next year, um, I'm working on a... Sculpture that will um, uh, be on public view in January, Um, and it's one of the larger public sculptures I've made. And then um, I'm also going to uh, work on my Kochi Biennale um, participation, and I have a small museum commission in New York, um, which should take place over in early fall, late summer. So those other things, yeah.
0: Maybe we'll check in. Yeah. When it happens. Yes, please do. Right. Yeah. Thanks for coming on, Jason.
1: oh Thanks, Ian. Thanks.
0: Thank you for listening to Ian's Research Club, another market podcast. If you like what you heard, subscribe to stay updated when new episodes drop. You can find the podcast by searching Ian's Research Club on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Do rate and review us as it helps others discover the show. For images of the artworks and exhibitions discussed, Visit the ANM website. Our URL is www.artandmarket.net. Follow ANM on Instagram and Facebook for more specialist content on Southeast Asian art. Till next time, bye.